Hello, I'm Carrie Gard and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Welcome to the final episode of season 11. How cool was my episode with Naz Kim? If you haven't listened to it, be sure to skip back and hang out with Naz and me as we dig into PR and, and how to make it successful for you and your brand. It's just, she's just got a wealth of experience from what she's got going on. And, uh, and she's just really cool. Can't say that enough. She's really cool. In this final episode, I chat with Jim Mitchell and what an opportunity to have met Jim. It, my conversation with Jim is an eye-opener. Eye-opener. Jim has been at quite a few security startups over the last five to 10 years, and he has seen some things, especially as it pertains to rapid growth and the pitfalls, more like craters, as he describes them, of what can happen if a company grows too quickly. I mean, we talk about rapid growth, but then there's like rapid growth. (laughs) There's a clear difference. And Jim really talks about the differences of like what it means to, to grow as a startup and what it means to like explode essentially. It's a really great conversation. Jim is a complete marketing professional with years of experience to get the job done. Content management, brand management, end-to-end project management, and the ability to communicate across departments. He leads by doing, not telling. What Jim can do for you. He can create and manage striking campaigns to make your company stand out, lead teams so that the objectives are met on time and under budget, business development and sales, content development, social media management, product, company, positioning, And he also tells great dad jokes. Couldn't resist leaving out that last line. It gives you an idea on Jim's personality, that striking balance of taking his job and industry very seriously with his fun side. Anyway, I learned a lot from Jim and I'm really grateful for this conversation because especially in security right now, things are exploding in terms of how companies are growing. And this is a really great visibility into what's happening when that happens. It's really helpful. So here's my conversation with Jim. Hi, Jim. Thanks for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Virtually, <laughs> virtually, virtually across the world. Good time. Uh, before we kick off into our conversation, which I'm really excited about, can you just for our listeners uh, tell us your story, Jim? What do you do, and how did you get there? Yeah, so currently uh, I am working on contracts. Um, I've been in marketing in some form or fashion for 15 years now, or oh wow, 16 years, somewhere in that ballpark. <laughs> I don't have any hair anymore. I'll just say, yeah. <laughs> um, and I've I've worked in agency background. I've worked in local television marketing. The the first job I had out of college, where I was I was not only producing on air ads, uh, I was helping sell that ad time. I was talking to client facing people, um, and then I've I've done straight direct to consumer, working on the retail side of things. Uh, and as soon as 
like digital ads and things like that were really coming on board at that point. So I was working with a company that like, oh, you know how to do social media, which at the time there were no business managers, really. They were just starting to happen. So it was more like, I'm just making you an account so you can talk to people as a per as a company, but as a person on certain platforms. You know, um, LinkedIn did exist at that point, but again, no, there was no ads manager, no business manager to like in its current form. Um, and then yeah, I've I've worked uh, in in government contracting as well. So um, that's a very specific niche type of population that you're marketing to um, because you're trying to grow those contracts to different work sites. So you, with that, I was producing communications pieces, train, even training pieces, depending on what the, the project was because of it's the government and they'll wring everything they can out of you and not really want to pay for it, but somehow so, someone was making money. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, most recently, full-time wise, uh, before going 1099, I was working in cybersecurity as a global marketing operations manager, um, <clears throat> helping build out strategy for marketing technology, helping build out strategy to just uh, distribute uh, content and, and the best places to do that, as well as working on the paid ad side of that, which kind of encompasses a lot of other things that I've done that have been contract or, um, you know, short-term W-2 type of, type of work, you know, working in marketing, the last 15, 16 years, you're kind of just chasing down work wherever you can. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah a, a lot of that and picked up a lot of skills along the way, educational backgrounds and media and communications. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much my story. Then yeah. here, here we are, I'm working on a 1099 currently uh, in uh, the health and wellness arena, which they have a tech piece, which I'm helping them bring on board and market that as well as their traditional business, which was wholesaling and working directly with, with healthcare practitioners. You've sort of run the gamut, which is exciting because it's going to lend itself perfectly to our conversation today. Before we get there though, Jim, what's, um, you're in a unique, a unique spot in being a 1099 and this day and age of all the things happening in the world. So in your unique situation, what's one challenge you're currently facing? Right now, people are trying to do things that they don't fully understand. Um, you have C-level people that are asking questions because they've heard buzzwords or they've read articles and that kind of matriculates down into the people that are doing the tactical work. So having, having people know too much but nothing all at the same time is, is a big challenge in trying to communicate those pieces to key stakeholders um, is, is probably the biggest challenge. Um, you come into an organization that's established, uh, they, they think they have things running, but they, they're like, well, we, we want you to work on this one piece of it, and this is what we're trying to understand. And, and you, they, a lot of it's been data lately, data, 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 and no one really knows what that data means. Or I, I posted something earlier on LinkedIn, um, and <laughs> so a lot of companies will say they're, they're data-driven. What they won't say is where they drive that data and most of the time it's into a tree. Um, <laughs> How'd that go over? <laughs> uh, so it, it got some laughs and some reactions. Um, but I, I, data is one of those things where it's like, we need data. I'm like, yeah, you can have all the data in the world, but what are you doing with it? And are you collecting the right data? And I realized that no one's collecting the right data for their, for their purposes or know how to uh, get the attribution from the different channels of where that data might be coming from. 
Yeah, I also feel like they look at all the data and then the story they want to tell. Um, they don't really care for the story. They just want to continuously tell the, the same data over and over and over and over again, rather than actually like figuring out what, what the data is saying and what story you should be telling and not worrying about all of like, you don't need all of the numbers. You just need the set that's helping you figure out where you need to go next. Correct. And everyone still has this obsession with email metrics. And it's like, are you even getting any business off of email? Like that's the biggest thing. Like we need to figure out our email data. I'm like, why? <laughs> Your open rates 0.9%. <laughs> Oh, well, that is definitely a challenge. I think we're all facing in the MarTech world now, especially where, where, you know, you get endless amounts of data from all sorts of places. Um, you know, I feel like some people are, I don't know if it's because they don't want to know or they don't care to figure it out. I don't really know. We're, we're sort of scratching our heads with this question right now of like, everybody's talking about the dark funnel and it's like, well, I think you can measure those things but do you need to measure those things? Which I think is what you're asking, Jim, of like, well, just because you can measure it doesn't mean you need to measure it. Is that going to help you get to where you need to get to at the end of the day? Bingo. And everyone wants the the whole, yeah, that you said that the funnel and the demand gen and all this stuff, but they they don't understand what demand needs to be generated that that data is telling them, whether it's, you know, end user side, if it's a software product or, or if it's, you know, if you're B2B, if it's the, you know, what level of decision maker making like level you're going after and no one can figure that out. And it's like, well, it's, you kind of got to look at all three and yeah, no, one, no one's using data properly and they want more. And I don't know how much more I can get. <laughs> There's, and there's a new software tool that's going to do it every week because I get the I get the sales emails trying to like, hey, would you like to do a demo of this tool? And then every every time I go there, if, if the content is 100% gated, I'm like, I don't want to deal with you. That's a whole other discussion, Jim, that we just don't have time for. <laughs> True. Or maybe it'll work its way into our actual conversation, but oh, goodness, gated content. Uh, what is so this? Two thousand twenty twenty. So that that would that would be the long answer to your question of like, what are you seeing as a challenge working externally for for an organization? Yeah, yeah, data. I totally get that, and I'm sure you're not the only one who's feeling that that pressure right now. Um, in terms of our conversation today, we had a really interesting conversation. Let me say conversation one more time because I'm definitely saying that a lot. Um, we talked about your journey essentially, and one of the a different challenge you were facing at the time, which was having worked in multiple tech companies and then scaling really fast. And I feel like that's the golden ticket and what everybody's after. But in your experience, uh, there's that's not necessarily the the best opportunity. So talk me through it. Talk me through, Jim. Like, what's your experience in working with startups and uh, and in fast in fast growing startups? What's been your experience? So my my experience has been that yes, you always you when you're in a startup environment, funding's always good, no matter you know. And but you, it too much funding can cause a lot of 
unneeded attitude changes. So you're, you're, you, you can, you can lose your focus on the actual day-to-day mission. You can lose the, the focus on the long-term vision of the company. Um, I've been in startup environments where big money for them was, was 500 or, you know, a million and a half or something like that. So like in terms of normal human money, yeah, that's a lot of money, but in terms of business, that's not a ton of money. Um, And then I've been in environments where, you know, half billion, 600 million, those types of large sums have, have been, been thrown out. And especially now in some hot sectors like cybersecurity, those those larger numbers are being thrown around like crazy at these companies. And when you get that amount of money and no, no, it's coming at people fast and they don't always have time to plan for it, which is a huge issue. Yeah. You're up, you have, you have people out there trying to raise the money or you have people coming to you to, to like, Hey, we want to put money into this. And a lot of times when the people are coming to you to give you the money, there's no plan in place. And I've seen that, where the money will come to you and there is zero pl- plan in place. It's just like, all right, we're going to get vetted by Lords of London or, or whoever's doing those types of you know, um, due diligence for the investors for that company. And what happens with that is there's ultimately going to be headbutting in terms of the C-suite. There's going to be organizational changes that inevitably are going to happen to that, whether that's you know, massive headcount increases or even you know, acquisition that then creates redundancy in positions. So then you have a culture issue that happens where it's like, well, if there's redundancy in my in, in my position at this level, how long, how much am I going to be the one that gets, you know, like, well, we did the analysis and your job no longer is needed. Or are you going to be on the other side where it's like bye to the other person? And then the other part of this, when you grow rapidly like that over in a short period of time. You've probably already been planning some growth, so you're hiring people. In the positions that I've been in, what's happened was I come on board, this money comes in into play, and you've been promised all these things that you're going to do with this company to grow this company. They sell you this great mission, and then months into it, all of a sudden, there's organizational changes. People start leaving because they have inside information that's not getting down to certain levels. So they're sitting there like, well, I'm going to start looking other places because I know when this money comes in, my position will be eliminated just because of how that typically goes in any type of merger or acquisition or, or investment. So let me, so let me get this straight. You're saying that when more money comes in, jobs are eliminated? No, people, when that money comes in, people want to start to jockey for position. If they can't get the position that they think they deserve, they're going oh, to start okay. looking at other other companies. Okay. Um, and what I was saying was, when some of that money comes in, a lot of times that money is used for acquisition of, of other companies. And then there's that crossover of like, well, we don't need all these people in XYZ department right, because see. this person can do that job. So you then you start to have like, that makes me nervous. Like um, if you look at the financial industry in the mid 90s, a lot of banks and stuff were merging and, and stuff like that and coming together as one company. That's what a lot of la- those layoffs were, where those mergers were, there was redundancy created because you had this department, this department doing the same job. Right. Um, and that happens a lot of time when those acquisitions happen. And they, they try and both companies will sell their employees like, your jobs are fine. It's not going to change anything. But then all of a sudden, 
that we'll say that that proverbial heat that your executive team then gets for you know getting that money or bringing a company public or something like that, that starts to either put pressure on them to do more with the company or it puts pressure on them to look other places. Got it. Yeah. So all so- these all these things can happen when 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 a company is growing and money comes in and it's really happening. You're gonna see a consolidation in, in several industries, cybersecurity being one, fintech being another. Um, and I think um, well, it's always happening with healthcare. So <laughs> so when big money comes in, um, so you're saying that when companies are being given a round of 500, 500 million plus dollars, chances are, because I was like, where does that, what did you do with all that money? Like that's not small potatoes. So it sounds like it's to actually go buy up more companies and consolidate. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're basically trying to find a, a piece of the pie that's going to help their company grow revenue. Or even at that point, just try to get to profitability. Right. What people don't realize is a lot of these companies that are taking on those large swaths of money, they're not even profitable yet. <laughs> and they got to pay they're, that money back. If it's invest, if, if it's debt financing, yeah, you, you got to pay that back if it's like a convertible note or, or any other kind of debt financing. But eventually, yeah, the, the shareholders, the people that have bought those shares of the company or that, that piece of the pie, they're going to want to return on their money. Um, and you like that's another issue of like so if you have a new CEO, which a lot of these companies have new CEOs, they've never taken on that much money. So those CEOs, you see you see it a lot in tech where CEOs will do it for a few years and then they're like, I don't know what else to do. And that person will step into another role or just completely exit the company altogether and they install someone who's a CEO who's done all those things before. So they take um uh, Robin Hood, the, uh, the CEO of Robin Hood, he's kind of bungling a lot of things. It would not shock me with all the investment that they've taken on and they, they, they did their SPAC um, public offering. Um, if he very soon is pushed out, if, if they don't reach some sort of even close to, you know, getting back to where they were before December when everything kind of crashed for them. Um, so it's money. Money can be great if you have the right leadership in place and you have the right plan in place. And I've been on the flip side of that where a company was going out looking for money for for financing, for for investment. And they had a plan in place because they had to have a plan in place to go after and have these conversations. Mm -hmm. But that was on a much smaller scale um, with a a company that was in, in... into data marketing and location marketing, where they they went out and they found the investment, but they had a solid plan to grow the company and they're still growing currently today. Whereas you have just people throwing money at you in a lot of these industries because they're basically you know rolling the dice to be like, well, one of these will hit. So you, you see the same VC companies all the time showing up in the news. So people like Bain Capital and, and things like that are just like, they, I don't know where they get all their money, but I mean, they're thrown at places <laughs> and you have, these, and that that's what you end up with. And in one case that I was referencing where they brought on that $600 million in less than a year of me being there before that they had taken on 120 million on a, another round. And then before that, I mean, they were up to series. I think that was series E 
or F. <laughs> That's a lot of round funding. And their balance sheet was huge. Like they just weren't spending it. And I know a lot of people, myself included, were like, well, where's, where's the growth for the people that are already here so their jobs can you know, do what they're supposed to do? And there just was no plan for it. They just got money and they were spending it in places. They're like, well, why are you spending it on this when we have these issues over here that if we brought in you know, this tool or you know, just brought out an admin for this type of program, we could fix these issues and we, we get to where we need to go a lot quicker. Um, but attitudes change, people change, the mission gets lost. And that's, I've, that's the, the bad side of it. And then you look at the other side, it's like, if the plan's in place, good things can happen. So I think um, a good example, I mean, I don't know the inner workings, but just from, from reading things in the cyber world, Splunk has done a good job of having a plan of where their money's coming from. And they actually, there's reports that Cisco wants to buy Splunk for $20 billion um, and bring them under their, their growing security business inside of Cisco. Um, so that's an, that's an exit where you have money coming in and you have the exit and it's like, and I'm assuming right. the exit is actually more than the money they had raised to grow the company, right? I mean, you need to offset it, that. How I just don't understand how you offset $500 million. I mean, acquisition's okay, but like that could only go so far, I would think. Yeah, and, and a lot of cybersecurity is, it's niche cybersecurity. So you have, you know, different places where the addressable market's only so big. So you have to go buy up companies and other niches that you think are going to help your company bring in extra revenue and get you to profitability. And that's, I, that's what you're going to see in cyber, especially I would say in the next year or two, it's, it's starting to happen now um, where people are getting bought up. So there are a lot of smaller companies and, and cyber that have gotten, you know, 60 million in, in funding, 70 million in funding. And then you have others that are in that hundreds of millions of dollars in funding. So those hundreds of millions of dollars in funding co companies are gonna go buy up these smaller companies that have decent products. Um, and then that's why they're- sort of stitch them together to create one offering. Yeah, basically like, I mean, IBM's been doing that for decades. Mm -hmm. Cisco's been doing that for decades. Lenovo, uh, you know, bought part of IBM as they were shifting more to cloud infrastructure and technology and data center. Um, yeah, so you're going to see that consolidation and picking up of different industries so they can make inroads into other forms of cybersecurity and technology, just not the, the niche that they started off with. Got it. So when you're looking at, you know, so what's, We've, we've thrown around a lot of numbers. It sounds like things like the 50 to 70, even maybe 90 at the top end are like standard rounds of funding. And then, you know, so when does it get, when do you start raising an eyebrow? And, and what's the timeline of that? Like if you get 90, 90 million in funding, is that like for three years, five years? And then you look for your next round, like you're saying very fast and a lot of money. So like, just break this down for me in terms of. What, I, what I've experienced and what I've seen. And now I know this learning from dealing with these rounds of funding, being at companies that were taking them on. Is look at, 
look at what letter of round of funding they're on. Um, and if they're on a, if, if you're going beyond a series D, I would say for me, I know now that I'm like, all right, they're going to keep trying to raise. And they're going to keep trying to raise and raise and raise. If you get a series B, series C, they're that type of company seems like they are getting to the point of they're going to go in that heavy growth mode. And when you, if you're interviewing or, or, or I know this is something we were going to talk about, if, should you join those companies? Um, I would look at that. And if you're interviewing with those types of companies or you're looking to work with those types of companies, look at those rounds of funding, see how large they were and, ask the questions. You might not get the answer because I, I have asked these questions like, well, what is the plan? I know from doing, seeing these rounds of funding with other companies and other industries that that amount of money, that, that number of rounds, that means something. So before you go in there, if they're promising you this, like this is what this role is going to do, you need to figure out what the questions are to ask them and what's going to be important to you as an individual. And for me, it was like, well, where does this put me if you're going to keep, if you've done this round of funding, is this company, like one question I always ask if I see companies taking on funding, and I've done this with several companies before I start working with them, is, well, what's your five-year plan? I, 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 I know that you've raised this amount of money through this many rounds, and this last round was X, Y, Z. What does that mean for the company's plan? What does that mean for this role individually and the team that I might be working with? That's probably one of the most important questions that I've learned to ask when seeing these rounds of funding, because uh, that'll tell you if you can, at that point, you can ballpark and like, all right, someone in the C-suite or more than someone in the C-suite is going to leave, go somewhere else because they're going to get heat and they're going to like either get pulled or the pressure's going to get too much and they're going to get replaced. So one of those two things might happen. Sometimes that's your direct boss. Um, a lot of times you'll have that happen and um, salespeople that are higher up in the sales hierarchy, they can take credit for that or a heavy contribution to that a lot of times because they grew the revenue to the point where someone said, okay, I'll, I'll give you another bunch of money to, to, to keep doing that because I think I'm going to get a bigger return if I keep giving you money. Um, so asking what the plan is for those things is very, very important because if they keep promising you the world, like, like, but we're still a startup and you're going to have to wear many hats. And it's like, yeah, but I know you just got all this rounds of funding. So you have the resources to do that. So that's another red flag is like, we're a startup. If a company is always blaming things on being a startup, huge red flag. It's like if, an, if a nine-year-old company that just took on, you know, a, a 50 million or however much money it was is blaming things a lack of resources because that lack of resources is eventually going to play into how successful you can be in your job. You can only do so much with so many resources. So if, if you're under-resourced, it's, it's going to be a huge issue. And if they blame their under being under-resourced on being a startup and they've taken on all that money, that, to me, that's a red flag. Someone else might find that exciting because you get to do nine million jobs and get paid for half of one. <laughs>
Yeah, well, no, that yeah, sounds terrifying because if they have all this money and they expect that they have to make up the money somewhere and you're part of that solution, but you don't have the resources in order to actually make that happen, that sounds awful. Yeah, and in working in marketing, the new thing is marketing sourced revenue. Everyone wants marketing sourced revenues. They want to put they want to put a number dollar number to what marketing is doing, which is which is fine. But if there's no resources to do that, or the reporting is not set up correctly, which a lot of companies like will immediately go and get a CRM that's too big for what they're doing, or it completely doesn't match up with what what you know the company goals are, or they don't have the resource itself to go into those large programs. I won't name names, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> to go into those large programs, and you don't have the person that actually knows how to administer those things, but you have one person that you hired. It's like oh, I can hack my way through it, then you're going to have issues. You're going to have data governance issues. You're going to have data warehousing issues, data sync issues. Um, and then you're going to bring on someone in marketing and you're going to tell them like, yeah, here's your budget to bring on, bring on marketing technology. And then you're going to have to work with that person to try and integrate that technology with other systems that are already in place. And those things aren't there. That happens constantly. Um, so let's, if, if you work in marketing operations in the marketing stack, that's another question I would ask of these companies are, well, do you, do you have, I always ask, do you have a blank administrator for that program? Not someone who's knows enough to hack their way through it to, to get the numbers that the one person asked for, but do you have someone that their day-to-day is living in that program? Um, if they say no, like, yeah, I, I'd be weary. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for some of these bigger ones, just to name a few so people know what we're talking about, not that we're calling these programs out in any negative way. It's just that they're very big and cumbersome and you do need to know your way around them, something like a HubSpot or an Adobe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Omnisher is a beast. And if you if you don't know how to navigate it and set it up properly, then the data is useless. And, and now a lot of these programs, they're, they're consolidating, they're buying up other people and they make it more difficult that if you have a program that's outside of the ecosystem that they're trying to build, there's no support for it. And if, yeah, there's ways of doing it. But again, if you don't have that person that's resource that knows how to do that and that's their day to day, it's real tough. Um, And that's, you know, marketing operations, which has been my most recent thing I've been doing has morphed from more holistic marketing and strategy and having a technology piece to it to being almost solely technology-based. And How, is that what, in your opinion, is that where you should be headed or I, is that a good thing? It's, it's, it's just human nature to try and silo people mm. where marketing operations in my opinion anyway, needs to have their foot in the door. So this, the people that work in those worlds, especially the people that are, you know, kind of the managers of it, they can talk to IT because there's an IT piece of it. And, but they can talk, but they also know how to talk marketing and they can talk strategy and how all that's going to play into it. Uh, whether that's creating content within like your automation programs, working with the designers, and if you have a designer to, to get that content properly into your, your automation software, 
and then the person who's running your CRM to be able to talk that language a little bit. So you're you're kind of you're more a facilitator at that point than a marketer, but you know all the language and you've, you've done those things and you've had those conversations before. Um, you might not know, you know, every single function of a software program, but that's kind of where things are going. Is they're pushing people to this one side, which is heavy on technology, which is, you know, for me, I'm not a fan of it because I like to be on the creative side too. And, and I like to drive creative strategy. And then I can take the numbers from the technology side of it and the data side of it. And I can show someone who's running a campaign that m- might be their, a field marketer who's like running their own digital campaign. But if you're in one of these startups that, that typically happens where it, they'll make field marketers or the channel marketers or whatever, run their own digital campaigns with oversight. Um, but you can then go take that data and show that and, and speak field marketing language and be like, hey, this is this is what you're doing. This is like, you know, here's where your ROI is. Here's where you can improve. Here's where you can retarget and that, that sort of stuff. Um, but it's all getting pushed to you're an IT function rather than a, a having your foot in both worlds function. But I don't necessarily think it's a good thing because you're going to have someone, you're going to have people and it's already started with that only talk to technology side of it. Right. There needs to be a connection between all of the things. I mean, it's, it sounds like that's actually, it could work if they're set up properly to have the right resources in place to, and the right connections in place to talk to all these people. But if they're right. an island, like you're talking about, then yeah, I could see that being a real challenge that they're not getting what they need to get their job done because they're siloed and over here in the tech world and nothing else is connected. Correct. And very often you don't have those resources or the resources change or there's a reallocation. <laughs> so, so there's, and then you lose all that and then you get more and more siloed. So you might not start siloed, but it, it's, it's a, it's, you can see it being chipped away right in front of you. So uh, your more marketing operations should be more of a ferry between sides versus, you know, standing on the bank on one side and staring at the other side, wishing like, I wish I could help them over there, but I can't. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like when companies get all this money from, from everything you're saying, the problem is that they don't have a plan and then the money goes to, it doesn't go to any resources and you're, so you're still expected to do your current job um, with, potentially less because if there's if they're buying up other companies and then your job gets sort of um falls away because they're using another function from another company that they just brought on um your resources get chipped away and so you may be trying to do it with less resources that uh or the wrong resources or the the wrong resource yeah it sounds like you know it's all well and good to grow but at what end to what end? Yeah, because like wrong, go back to the wrong resources thing is you might be using these tools over here that work for this company that's doing this amount of revenue, this amount of size uh, uh, deal. Um, but then you get a bunch of money and like, all right, we're going to go, at, we're going to go acquire that company. You go in and like, well, they're using a tool that doesn't match up with what we're doing, but we want to bring the two together and all. you run run into that where then you have people butting heads about that which resources are are the best 
whose whose experience matches up with what the 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 goal has become now that you've acquired a company or now that you've brought on all this all this cash um and then i've also seen it where um you take on that money and you don't know what resources to get because you don't know where the company wants you to go or where the department's supposed to go because you know revenue goals are going to shift um company goals going to shift departmental goals are going to shift um so without a plan in place you could be under-resourced over-resourced mm-hmm. not have the right resources not have the right tools not have the right people um and that's what you see a lot of times when people merge with another company or they take on money and you go on glass door <laughs> within within three within three months you see all these posts and, and their people companies ratings are just go in the in, in into the ground because of because of not having a plan or, or the plan wasn't right and there's all kinds of things that could happen and I have not seen a company that takes on a large amount of money like that and it does it right. That was my next question. That was where I was yeah. going to sort of land with this. I'm like, well, have you seen it gone well? So I have with smaller companies and smaller amount of money because okay. again, they're going out with a plan to go get that money. <laughs> and a and lot of to, lot, and then to grow like with it to find their own revenue to grow to take that money to invest in the growth of their company that then they can pay it back and continue to grow on their own. Like is what's the when, when companies take on this kind of money, even if it's the right amount, and we're not talking about the crazy amounts, like the 500 million, even if it's the right amount, I mean, what's, what are good end goals for companies like that? Is it to get bought? Is it to go public? Like what, it, why would you take on that kind of money? What's, what's in it for the brand to, to take on that kind of responsibility? I think when you're taking on the smaller amounts of money, your, your goal, you know, you, you probably dream of a, you know, a billion dollar exit, but the likelihood of that, even, even though in the last year, they said there's been more unicorns uh, ever in history. Um, but I think when you, when you're a smaller company like that and you take on, you know, half million dollars, million, whatever, whatever amount of money it is, your, your goal is not ultimately the, the, the exit part. It's to, it's to, drive that mission forward and the people that you have on board to treat them well and to bring more people on board to further the mission that you clearly have a hold on because you're going out and you're raising a very deliberate amount of money and you've come up with a plan for it you've shown people the plan for it and you're like yeah i'll i'll be i'll i'll take a piece of that and you have a plan to get them a return on their investment when you take on gobs of money, like mountains of money, <laughs> which a lot of companies are getting right now, um, or you go public so you can raise tons of money, that creates another. I don't have too much experience with, with the public offering thing, um, but this, you know, the, the large sums of money, it it just changes the fundamental purpose of the company. So when you're raising those those large sums of money, you're probably looking at going public. 
that's probably your end goal. And the people that are in charge of bringing those, com- those companies public like that, there's typically financial rewards for that. You know, they've probably gotten their stock options. They're bringing it to bringing it to a, to a public market to sell shares to you know either institutional investors at that point or just individuals through you know the multitude of platforms we have. And there's financial rewards for the leadership of a company to do that, where they have you know X Y Z amount of shares of the company that'll automatically turn into basically I can sell these within six months of the, the company going public or whatever the embargo period is in, the, in their, their contract or the you know securities exchange commission or whatever people are running the markets. So that's it becomes very individualistic in my opinion when a company's bringing on that amount of money versus when you're bringing on a small amount of money like a million dollars, million five, even 10 million it's a lot harder for a company like that to go public than someone's brought on all that money. Then it's now on them to get brought public. So then the shareholder can get dividends, can sell their stock and make their money back that way. That's kind of what those large sums of money in my experience have been um, the point. And you can see it change the leadership's way of going about things because they see financial rewards for themselves. Um, because they've been given stock grants versus uh, options, which is usually what you give the lower level people that they have to buy those options to make them worth anything. And even if there is a liquidity, I've been in situations where even if there was a liquidity event, I still would have had to buy the options. I'm like, and those are things I've learned as I've gotten older. Like, oh, I don't care for stock options. I'd rather have stock grants. Can you give me a stock grant? like a really good sound like you would just like basically a really good base seller it would be nice Something yeah i'll take like that too guaranteed <laughs> um no this is really helpful because i know that a lot of companies are this is happening and you know as you're looking at the red flags of the good questions to ask if you're joining a tech company who's raising a ton of money you know and trading essentially mission for cash and you know what they set out originally to do um you know, those are things to consider when you're looking at a job and for, you know, okay, well, you know, what's your, what are you trying to accomplish as an individual? If you just need a bunch, if you just need money, then, you know, grinding it out for a few years to have a, have that good salary, have those stock options and wear all those hats and know what you're in for could certainly be some, you know, but I think the important thing to note and everything we're talking about is to just know what you're walking into and being promised the world and and then real uncovering all of this once you're in it is just it it just wears on you so it's yeah hard it's hard to live it can it can be disheartening too where you're like you come into a company and you all of a sudden see this shift in what's going on and you're like oh man this is not what i signed up for this is not this is not what i was i was told was going to happen um and that's the risk of going into a place that, you know, is a growth stage company coming out of, you know, a, a period of, yeah, they were a startup. Which I'd still like better clarity for myself as a human being of like, what's the definition of a startup? Because that those lines keep getting blurred more and more. So <laughs> you come, I think if you come into a company at that point, that's, you know, raised 150 million or however much, like you're no longer a startup. 
Like, no, you should be acting like one at least. Like, like you can't tell me there's, you just took on all that money. You got to tell me there's revenue somewhere that's legitimizing the amount of money that's coming in from investors versus like, we're a startup. Like, oh, this company's on my credit card. <laughs> like, For sure. Well, Jim, thank you so much for all this information. It's so helpful in navigating where companies are going and what these series mean and what, what's happening on the inside when it happens. Like it's, yeah, that's good to know. Um, and hopefully people can figure it out. You know, I, I think there's a balance between, you know, slow growth over time and driving your mission and also like, you know, when you're grinding that long on a product, you believe in for so long, there's got to be some payout to some degree and but i think there's a balance and i think not losing yeah. yourself and the mission for the cost of it um is important it's 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 about for, for me going forward it's about doing my research um and knowing now knowing what questions to ask going into these smaller companies or, or these companies that aren't so small but want to say they're small and i'm not i'm not trying to scare people away from working in a startup because i would 100% go work for another startup. I just know what I know a better way of asking and getting the answers that I need to determine if I get an offer, if I'm going to take it. Agreed. And you laid it out so, so nicely for us and I'll have it in the transcript in the notes as well. If people want to skim and remind themselves of what those, of what those questions are and those red flags to look for. So thank you. So helpful. absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before we close out, I do have my people first questions because you're more than a marketer and, uh, you know, we have a life outside of work, I hope, some to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to just pull back that curtain. Um, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Question? All right. First one for you is if you, uh, oh, what new hobbies have you picked up in the last year or two years? New hobbies? At this point? Yeah. Given the um, pandemic and lockdown and all sorts of world changing events uh a friend of mine we he we got into we're trying to get into competition barbecues uh so we've been we've been doing a lot of cooking i think a lot of people have been doing a lot of cooking but oh, we, we found it kind of therapeutic so we we got into uh he also works in tech so he we, he got a bunch of money from from his parents for christmas for for some reason i don't know where they got the money i don't care but we bought a smoker and we bought a bunch of, we went to costco and we, we bought a bunch of meat and, and so every couple of weekends we get together and we, we test new recipes so I, we got into trying to get into a competition barbecue nice i uh i stepped up my game a little bit not as fancy as, as your smoker over there but i did get an air fryer and there you uh, go <laughs> certainly saved the day um many times when it came to quick dinners and good barbecue food yes yeah they well the great thing is now they're they're building air fryers directly into ovens that's smart because they're so efficient but that way it won't have to sit on your counter and take up space it does it takes up yeah it takes a good chunk of space but i use it every day now so <laughs> there you it's go. Worth it every day yeah no it's awesome um, okay, same question for you. I know you're 1099 and uh, you're contracting around, but if you could be in an office with people just to like, you know, to, to 
be in the, in the absolute position you would love to be in, doing the work you love to do with a great team of people. If you can just picture for me, Jim, just picture it with me. And you're walking the floors, you're hanging out with your team. What song would you want playing overhead to set the tone? Like what would... Oh man, um, what song? I, I wouldn't go with Jumping Jack Flash, Rolling Stones. I don't know why. I just no. that's the first one that popped into my head. <laughs> I love it. Can't go wrong with the stones. All right, last question for you. If you could travel to anywhere in the world with no bread tape, no testing, no having to show all of the vaccine paperwork in all of the land, where would you go and why? Uh, I people are like, that's boring. Um, <laughs> I want to go to a Banff National Park in Canada. It's, it, I, I just see the pictures and I want to go. Ah, probably break my ankle hiking in, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> We're not worried about that. We're just picturing it and being there and enjoying it. Lovely, awesome. Well, uh, the song will be on a Spotify playlist. And, uh, and this will be up in, in a few weeks. So thank you, Jim. Thank you for joining me. Awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Startups to join, be sure to ask them what their goals are. If you hear words around crazy funding and insane growth, follow up to ask what their end goal is. Is it exit, buy other companies, get bought? If they seem to have a great culture, ask how they plan on maintaining that, holding on to the people they've worked so hard to hire thus far. Lean in, do your homework, find the right fit for you. See ahead. I think that's what happens a lot of the times is it all sounds really great on paper, but then when the exponential growth comes and the buyout happens and the merger is final, kind of, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. So this was really helpful. So thank you, Jim. Thank you for your insight. Appreciate you. If you'd like to connect with Jim, you can find him on LinkedIn. Link is in the show notes. This is the final episode of season 11 and what a lineup it has been. If you have not listened to all of the episodes, be sure to skip around, find the right episodes for you and learn from these amazing folks who are in the business to help their companies grow, keep their cultures alive, find the right fit for their for their teams. It's a, uh, the struggle is real and these marketers are living it every day. And I've learned so much from each and every one of them. And I'm so grateful. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that when season 12 drops, you're ready. You're ready because what a lineup that is going to be as well. As I continue to talk to marketers in security and data management and a few wild cards in there. Cause why not? Thank you so much for tuning in to this season of Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our digital marketing agency that helps cybersecurity and data companies get found via transparent, measurable digital marketing. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply. See you next season.